Um, we're going to spend a few minutes uh, just being encouraged by Luke chapter 10 uh, on matters relating to stewardship and so on. Uh, but first, I just want to um, remind you uh, that I think it was 10 years ago this Sunday, something like that, that Malcolm first came. Is that right? Okay. So we're very thankful. Uh, those of us who've walked with Malcolm through those 10 years, if you were, if you were with us back then, uh, we're very thankful for how God uh, has um, uh, taught him and changed him and used him. And uh, Malcolm is generous with the gospel uh, beyond these walls uh, with others. But I just wanted to acknowledge that because it's, it's been a 10 years, hasn't it, Malcolm? It definitely has, yes. Good. Is that on the screen? Excellent. Is that going to play now? Good. Uh, Luke chapter 10, that's page 1041. Uh, we'll just spend a few minutes here. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, encourage us, we pray this morning, through your word. Uh, challenge us where we need your correction. Uh, and, and Father, encourage us where we are treading the right path. Uh, and we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, when I was uh, preaching last week um, on Jesus' teaching about the human heart, uh, there was something I just couldn't quite put my finger on uh, as I was uh, preaching last week. And then somebody made it really clear in the home, home group discussion, um, that the home group that I'm in. Um, we're following on from the sermons and digging a bit deeper in those. Um, and what it was was the real sense of relief that I felt and that this person felt and that others will have felt when we hear Jesus' teaching about the human heart. Now, that might surprise you because we were learning this last week, that for it's out of the human heart that evil thoughts, deeds and words come. That's what we were learning. And what I couldn't quite put my finger on is why it is such a great relief to hear Jesus say that. And there's two reasons for that. The first is that finally someone makes sense of my experience. Someone describes me in a way that I know is true. Quite a few wives wish that their husbands would ever kind of be better at this, you know, understanding them. But this is, this is the great relief. Jesus says this, and I go, yeah, that's right. That's me. You understand me. You understand why sometimes I get impatient and snap. Usually, just, you know, just say something that shouldn't usually with people closest to me. Uh, Jesus understands why I find it so easy to be selfish, even when I don't want to be. Jesus understands why when I try and sort myself out, it's just so difficult to achieve. A real sense of relief. There's someone who actually understands me 
But secondly, the relief, because if this is true, the relief of knowing that I must look outside myself for help. That is a massive relief. That I must look outside myself for help. Looking inside, well, that's not going to be any use at all, is it? Because that's where all the evil comes from. So I'm never going to find deliverance or hope or purpose by looking inside. What a relief that I can look outside, that somebody else will help. The relief that someone is inviting me to look at him for the help I need for meaning, purpose and hope in life. The old Heidelberg Catechism put it this way, uh, what is your only hope, your only comfort in life and in death? What's your only comfort in life and death? That I am not my own. Not looking inside, not owning myself. That's not my comfort in life and in death. That I am not my own, but belong body and soul to my Lord Jesus Christ. My only comfort in life and in death that I belong in body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful saviour, Jesus Christ. That is such a relief. Here is somebody who comes and explains to me the experience that I know. He explains my experience to me, he understands me, and he's the one outside of me who can actually help me. It is no point believing in yourself. Believe, but believe in someone outside yourself for the hope and purpose and deliverance that we long for what a relief that is and the more you think about that the more joy rises in our hearts i've been loved in a way that we've been loved in a way that we could never imagine slaves on the inside a saviour coming from the outside. Jesus is diagnosing every human heart here. The scriptures elsewhere say, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's very, very peculiar, isn't it, that the Christian church sometimes behaves like Jonah. You remember we did Jonah at the church weekend? So here we are, great sense of relief, overwhelming joy at this gospel uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ and we rejoice in that but like Jonah we're, we're not very generous with passing that on to others that was Jonah's thing he said I know you're I know you're compassionate and gracious God I knew you'd be nice to these Ninevites and he didn't want to go and he learnt his lesson we think it's very peculiar, isn't it? That with such a relieving, uh, joy-engendering gospel, that the Christian church might sometimes be selfish with its message. Because that's the opposite of God, isn't it? God has been extremely generous in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
sending the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus coming from heaven, living amongst us, laying down his life for us so that we could be delivered from our hearts and from all evil. The Lord Jesus coming and telling us what's wrong with us and saving us from what's wrong with us. God has been generous to the point of the Lord Jesus dying for us. I had the JWs on the door yesterday and my usual approach is that their gospel's quite good but it's nowhere near as good as the true gospel because uh, Jesus himself teaches us that greater love has no man than this that he lay down his life for his friends. And so I asked them, how do you know God loves you? Oh, because he sent somebody else to die. He's not God. On a, on a Jehovah's Witness, don't believe that Jesus is God incarnate. Uh, so so on, the J, on, the, on the JW's message, uh, it is not God himself who has laid down his life for me. So God has not shown me the greatest love that could be shown. But the Christian gospel is better than that. Because God himself comes and lays down his life in the person of his son, fully God and fully man, for us. God is that generous. He truly loves himself in action. And Jesus is generous too in Luke chapter 10. Because he sends out 72 to spread his message further. So in verses 1 and 2, Jesus uh, appoints and sends 72. It's probably 72 because in the table of nations in Genesis 10, uh, if you count them one way, there are 72 nations. So it's, a no, it's, it's potentially saying this is a message for the whole world, for everybody, the 72 that's generous. The Christian gospel is not for a few, it's for everybody. Uh, it's a lot of work if we're going to be generous because the harvest is plentiful. A plentiful harvest is a lot of work. There's a lot of work to be done. And so Jesus tells us to ask the Lord of the harvest to send out more workers the harvest is plentiful the workers are few ask the lord of the harvest therefore to send out workers into his harvest field we're to pray those who are sent the 72 are to pray too now jesus didn't only teach the lord's prayer by the way some people call this the other lord's prayer because he tells us he teaches us what to pray See, people who want to be generous with the gospel, so Jesus and these 72, they want to go and bear witness, people who want to be generous with the gospel will pray for more people to be generous with the gospel. We must pray for more people to be generous with the gospel. It's what lies behind our ministry trainee program making people as useful as possible in whatever context or church they end up in the future. 
Um, it's what all Christian discipleship is about. Uh, disciples are told by Jesus to go and make disciples of all nations. Well, that means that if you become a disciple, you've got to go and make disciples of all nations because that's what disciples are told to do. It's why James is training uh, uh, so many leaders to pick up Hope Explored and be able to lead it uh, when he and his family move on. Every person who's generous with the gospel for other people Everyone who's generous with the gospel started in a Christian congregation and is still part of a Christian congregation, unless you're at the most extreme end of uh, of a brand new missionary work. And so workers from the harvest field are raised up out of congregations like ours. generosity with the good news of Jesus lots of work needs lots of workers but it's hard work verse three go I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves to be snapped at perhaps to be mocked uh, to be laughed at to be rejected The image is really to be devoured. That's what wolves do to lambs. So lots of work needs lots of workers, and it's hard work. But do take the encouragement of verse 17. This is when they come back after they've been away. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. There's power in the message of Jesus to deliver from evil, to overcome all the power of the enemy to drive away the deceit and lies of the father of lies. For example, believe in yourself. People need to hear the Christian gospel to correct that. To drive away the deceit and lies of the father of lies, to lift the, the guilt that accuses us when the accuser stands. That's what Satan means. Guilt is dealt with and we're set free from the power of evil and death, the power of the devil, all through the message of the Lord Jesus. That message that brings us such great relief ourselves. And so as these 72 go out, so um, the message spreads, the web widens, uh, the, the, the message spreads further. And that's the model that happened uh, in the church in England for more than a thousand years. In England, that's why, that's why there's a church in almost every village. You ever wondered about how that happened? Well, because first some disciples came and then they appointed and sent some more. And they went and they did the hard work and they were praying for more workers to rise up. 
And they went to the next village, and so to the next village. And as disciples were made, they needed somewhere to meet, and the Saxon built wooden buildings, and the Normans built stone buildings, and, and so on. And this is just simply what happened. That those who were being generous with the gospel prayed for more people to be generous with the gospel, and so the gospel spread, and churches were built. Appointing, sending, and praying. It's no different in our own day. We're still planting churches and communities where there's no Christian witness. We're still having uh, uh, groups of disciples of Jesus in those places. And if they get to a building, they get to a building. But we're still planting churches. We're still revitalizing churches, places where witness has, um, has dwindled. And so we breathe, try and breathe new life there. But on a miniature scale, it's what we as a congregation do, isn't it? Because aren't, aren't you all going to go to various fields this week? It might be a school, it might be a workplace, it might be a home, it might be some charity work. And the question is, will we be generous with the gospel? I wonder if you've ever thought about that. What would it mean for you to be generous with the gospel in the field you'll find yourself in this week. What will that look like for you? Now, I don't think if you're in an office, I don't think that means walking in with a loud hailer uh, this, uh, tomorrow morning and just kind of, you know, right, now I'm going to be generous with the gospel. Because they may not feel that that's particularly generous. Now, our evangelism has to be humble and respectful but it also needs to be generous. What would it look like for you to be humbly, respectfully generous with the gospel in your field, whatever it is this week? Then we get the extraordinary verse 4. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and don't greet anyone on the road. How bizarre. You send out people as lambs amongst wolves and they're not allowed to take any money. They're not allowed to carry any food or clothing. They've got nothing to buy clothes or food with. And they've got to stay focused. Mustn't get distracted. I'd be distracted straight away if I didn't know what I was going to eat or where I was going to sleep or how I was going to stay warm. What's going on with Jesus' command? Well, think about what this means in practice for the 72. They're in pairs, and they turn up in a small town, and they're being generous with the gospel in that town, and they go to a house. Are they welcomed or not? And if they're welcomed, then they are provided for. Eating and drinking, whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. And because they're being provided for, they can keep being generous with the gospel. The gospel has been welcomed. They can keep being generous with the gospel. So that's from the 72's point of view. From the town's point of view, these two weirdos turn up and they start speaking this message. Ah, oh, no, we like that. 
Come, come into our house. Let us provide for you. And so they stay. On the other hand, there are towns and houses that don't want that good news. And so they can't stay there. Because if they stay there, they will starve. And they will be cold. Because they won't be provided for. You see how this works? The gospel, people are generous with the gospel. If that gospel is welcomed, then they can continue being generous with the gospel because they're provided for. But if that gospel is not welcomed, then they, they have to shake the dust off their feet and go to somewhere else where it will be welcomed. It's worth asking the question, why so many chapels, churches, are now not functioning Christian congregations, but the buildings are used for other things? Was it that people didn't love the gospel enough to provide for the gospel to stay? And so the gospel has had to move on. And the opposite is uh, true. If you can think about this principle the opposite way around when it comes to false teaching. What if false teachers turned up? What if false teachers turned up? Well, John says this in his second letter. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, the true gospel, do not take them into your house or welcome them. Don't provide for that ministry to carry on. Anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. There's the principle. If you welcome them, you share in their work. So if you welcome the true gospel, you share in the true gospel. As we close, we're all to be like the 72 generous with the gospel in our field whatever that is how are we to how are we to speak and bear witness to jesus with humble respect we're all to be generous with the gospel but we're all to be like the good townspeople as well we're also to be generous for the gospel so that the gospel doesn't depart from oswald street That's the way Jesus framed. That's why he sends them with nothing. I once tried explaining this to the deanery chapter um, with mixed results. Um, because people who love the gospel will provide for the gospel. Of course we will. Because it's the greatest relief and joy that we could know, not just for us, but for everybody else. And when we experience the relief and joy of the, the salvation that Christ brings, why would we ever want that to disappear? And why would we ever not want it to spread? Will we be generous with the gospel and for the gospel? 
Uh, in a moment, we're going to sing. We're going to sing a hymn that speaks of God's generosity and our own response. We're going to sing, demands my soul, my life, my all. That's not a burden or a constraint. That is a joyful freedom to be generous with the gospel and for the gospel. But before we sing, uh, well, why don't we stand and I'll lead us in prayer and then we'll sing. Please stand and let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, and we have found such relief and joy in Jesus. We praise you. He came from heaven and died for us. He told us who we are and has delivered us from what we have found ourselves to be. Father, we thank you that the gospel came to us, that down all those years, through all those towns and villages, Father, that there were, there were witnesses for the harvest field, and Father, that people prayed that witnesses would be raised up for the field, and they came, and Father, those uh, witnesses have been provided for. Villages have welcomed. Father, thank you that when we came to Oswald Street, uh, the gospel was here. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for all the provision for the gospel to continue here. Uh, even through this last financial year. Thank you for providing here for the gospel. And Father, we pray that you would work in us by your spirit. Make us in our own day generous with the gospel of your son. And make us in our own day generous for the gospel of your son. Lord, we pray that you would so remind us of the joy of all that you have done. Father, that we would respond uh, in action as Alistair has asked. Father, with all that we have heard this morning, make us respond according to your desire and will through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.